Welcome back to My Life's Work podcast, where we explore a diverse set of career paths and the decisions that lead people to where they are today. I'm Sarah. And I'm Nathaniel. Today, we're sharing with you the remarkable story of Martha Pope, who started her career as an elementary school art teacher in the same Connecticut school that she'd attended, but then turned her career in an entirely different direction, working her way from a Senate receptionist to managing thousands of employees as Senate sergeant-at-arms and later helping facilitate the Northern Ireland peace process. But to understand how Martha Pope got to where she is today, you have to start at the very beginning with her father, a public servant and a teacher. In her conversation with her, she came back to his influence multiple times, citing not only the values, but also the confidence that he instilled in her from a young age that she attributes to being able to make political history. If you're very lucky, you have parents, a father that is positive with you and gives you a feeling of confidence. Her father's work in public service was an inspiration to her, and throughout her career, his influence motivated her to choose jobs that would benefit society and the world as a whole. However, she was still affected by gender expectations of the 60s, which led her to start out her career as a teacher. I was a teacher because my dad was a teacher, and to some extent I was a teacher because I was a woman. You know, uh, my mother didn't work outside of the home, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a role model in that sense, and my dad was a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of trained that teaching was a good thing for women. When her husband moved to D.C. for a job, Martha followed, but there was one problem. It was going to be very hard getting a job as an art teacher. Yeah. Um, I had years of experience they would have to pay for, and you had to get a master's degree which they would have to pay for here. And it was a special subject, art, and they wouldn't want to pay for that. So I made the rounds on Capitol Hill and um, became a receptionist for Senator Gary Hart. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started on Capitol Hill, working for the Senate. In this new job, besides being a receptionist, one of her responsibilities was to work on fish and wildlife legislation. This gave her the experience to work as a lobbyist at the National Fish and Wildlife Federation, But Martha was pulled back to Capitol Hill in the U.S. Senate very soon. And while I was doing that, the woman that I worked uh, with on Capitol Hill uh, on the committee that did fish and wildlife legislation wanted to leave and called me up and asked me if I was interested in applying for her job. She staffed the Committee on the Environment and Public Works, dealing with any legislation associated with national wildlife refuges. Control of the committee was handed to the Republican Party after election of 1980, but many of the staff stayed on, including Martha. This committee at the time was unbelievably humane. We had Robert Stafford, who was from Vermont, take over as chair, and he worked it out with the Democrats to provide for the least disruption possible. That same year, she began working for Senator George Mitchell of Maine. I was his staff person for fish and wildlife legislation. Mm -hmm. I then became his legislative director. Mm -hmm. Then I became his administrative assistant and then chief of staff to the majority leader when he won the race for majority leader Mm -hmm. of the Senate. Martha worked across a wide breadth of issues while working for Senator Mitchell, but her past focus in fish and wildlife made her especially qualified when it came to the topic of Acadia National Park. I worked to establish legislative boundaries for Acadia National Park. Acadia was established by donation. 
and there was never legislation to back that up. Mm. And so Acadia would have people who lived within the boundaries, they would overdevelop the property. They would build houses at, in beautiful scenic areas. Mm-hmm. Or they would donate their land to the park and the town would lose its tax base. Mm-hmm. So after years and years and years, we finally got legislation. Another one of Martha's responsibilities working for George Mitchell was managing his staff. She had three rules for the staff three rules that were a representation of Martha's guiding values from the very start, stemming back to integrity and honesty. I always told my staff, I gave them the Washington Post rule, before you do anything, imagine if you want to read about it in the paper. (laughs) There was the Washington Post rule, but the other rule I always gave them was, I'm not hiring you to tell me I'm right. I hired you to tell me when I'm wrong. And I'll never be upset with you for that. Yeah. Always tell me. Uh, and I've had staff do that. They would say, uh, I think that might not be the way you want to go. Here's, and of course, that's what I had to do with the senator. Yeah. A lot of people won't tell senators when they're wrong. Yeah. They put their finger in the air. They figure out what the guy wants to hear. And they tell him what he wants mm-hmm. to hear. That's of no value whatsoever. And you, but there are senators that will fire you for telling you that. Mine didn't, but you have to just step up and take the heat. I suppose a third rule is never take credit for something that isn't yours. So nothing upset me too much, but it always upset me if I was in a meeting and I'd say to some person, you know, I think this might be a way to go. And suddenly I'd be in the meeting and I'd be hearing the idea, and my name wouldn't be attached to it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the heck is this all about? Within 10 years, she made history by becoming the first female sergeant-at-arms to the Senate. Later, she made history again by taking the seat of Secretary of the Senate, the first and only person to hold both sergeant-at-arms and Secretary of the Senate seats. Under the Constitution, the Senate elects two officers, sergeant-at-arms and doorkeeper, and Secretary of the Senate. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you actually ran for those posts. Mm-hmm. It, it changed to where the majority leader nominated you after consulting with the minority leader, and then you're elected by voice vote. And believe me, if anybody objected, you wouldn't get it, because they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't go through a debate or a filibuster. You have to really have everybody in favor of it. The Sergeant-at-Arms of the Senate really is in charge of the non-legislative responsibilities of the Senate. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the Senate is like a little town, and it has uh, mail, computers, um, responsibility, along with two other members of the police board for the Capitol Police. Then-President Bill Clinton asked Martha's boss, Senator Mitchell, to head the peace talks in Northern Ireland in an effort to put an end to the terror and violence of the Troubles. This was a tumultuous time in Irish history that left thousands dead and many more permanently injured. Mitchell agreed to be special envoy to Northern Ireland, which put him in charge of the United States' diplomatic involvement in the peace process. He asked Martha if she would stay on as his senior advisor. So I said to Senator Mitchell when he called me and asked me if I would go with him to do the job, uh, I hesitated, which is a little crazy, but I said to him, I've never 
done foreign policy. I, mm. I'd done a little of everything. With yeah. every job I'd ever had, I knew less and less about more and more. I became more and more of a generalist. So on the Committee on Environment and Public Works, mm -hmm. I was supposed to know as much as was necessary to know uh -huh. about fish and wildlife. And then as I became legislative director and then administrative assistant, I had to know less and less about more and more. I had to know where the support for the issue mm -hmm. was and where the opposition was and what problems might arise became much more of a political job mm -hmm. uh, rather than substance. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked with our staff people that did um, foreign affairs, but I, but I hadn't focused on it. Being able to carry out the duties of her job to the fullest extent was a priority for Martha, especially for something this important. She firmly believed that if she could not do it, then the job was better suited to someone else. And uh, so I thought about it for a day, and then I thought, well, you know, you'll learn. Mm -hmm. So I called him back, and, and I only had three years to work until I had my minimum retirement requirements. So I thought, you better get that under your belt. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I called him back, and I said, I would like to do it. I think mm -hmm. I can do the job. Well, it turned out that foreign policy was just politics on a different subject. Yeah. You still had to have the skill to know who to go to for what, who to trust mm -hmm. when they gave you an answer, and where the problems were going to come from. This may be surprising, but being in Northern Ireland felt very familiar and even safe to Martha. Of course, I had to start out, uh, you know, on the ground, running, learning who to go to for what who to trust for what, mm -hmm. uh, who had good, solid sense. So those were things that I had to learn. What were the problems going to be? Mm -hmm. But it was the same process, and it felt comfortable to me. Yeah. It felt comfortable to me mm -hmm. to do that. So, of course, I had staff people that uh, you know knew the issues in great detail, mm -hmm. and I could go to them, and once you start accumulating, that sort of the sort of knowledge of uh, where the problems were, then it, it just becomes the same thing you'd always done. Mm -hmm. There were uh, British soldiers with automatic rifles on the streets, um, but it wasn't anything like it had been earlier mm -hmm. uh, in, in the Troubles. So, you know, I felt very safe there. They phoned in one warning about a bomb in the Europa Hotel while the talks were ongoing. I happened not to be there mm -hmm. at the time, but I walked around feeling quite safe. I didn't feel like any of the parties were uh, hostile to us. The negotiations themselves were at times far more turbulent, however. Uh, I'm told that there was a unionist in the room and they were going around the room saying, should we do it? And, you know, they were this close to not doing it. And one of them said, every time we negotiate this, we lose more. And that's the other thing I wanted to tell you. This wasn't the only agreement negotiated. The Sunningdale Agreement had been negotiated. And the, and the Reverend Ian Paisley managed to convince the working class uh, 
the loyalists who were mostly the ones working in the shipyard uh, and um, had the jobs to go on strike and bring the agreement down. Sunningdale came down because of a strike. And so I remember once a woman that was one of the chairpersons of the Women's Coalition, which was a very new party, she said, oh gosh, you know, we're never, nothing's, we're making no progress. We're making no progress. And in truth, we went for year after year and there were no new agreements. Mm. Martha understood that there was far more to the negotiations and the paper and treaties, though. There was also the human aspect of getting to know one another. And here, in the middle of a bloody conflict, Martha's core values of integrity and honesty were more essential than ever before. I said, you really are making progress. The first thing is, you're all in the room together. And every day you're in the room together, talking to one another, that's progress. We have to think, what's causing that divisiveness? And of course, part of it is isolation. So in Northern Ireland, you'd have the Falls and the Shankill Road. And Protestants did not go on the Falls Road, and and Catholics did not go on the Shankill. I mean, they were different places. So they never met each other. Mm. And there there was no way to exchange ideas or let the other side know that you were human too. So did you take on like a mediating role or what was your position in that? Well, um, Senator Mitchell would have been, you know, in fairness, I wasn't elected and I wasn't appointed. Um, So I have to say he was the mediator, but on the other hand, as his chief of staff, I was the go-to person at first. Mm. So yes, I mean, I had to keep him advised and hopefully provide some suggestions that were useful to him and talk to the parties. But also in, in negotiations, people don't publicly admit to things piece by piece because they're afraid it's going to be leaked, that one of the parties uh, agreed to give up something, let's say it's weapons. And then someone will leak that and it will slow the talks down. So really in negotiations, you probably even know what people are going to be willing to agree to. But you just don't agree until everything is agreed. In April of 1998, the treaty known in history as the Good Friday Agreement was finally signed. A month later, voters across the island of Ireland approved it, and it went into effect in December of 1999. Although the peace process was long and arduous, there were lighter moments as well. Martha described an interaction in one of her last meetings with a prominent Protestant leader. He said to me, oh, what's our picture taken together? I've never had my picture taken with a Pope. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, because they were so anti-Catholic. Yeah. When everything was settled and the celebrations in Ireland and back home in D.C. came to a close, Martha soon retired. She returned to her roots in art, becoming a respected pastel artist here on Capitol Hill. She never gave up her focus on public service, but after a career of making a national and even global impact, Martha transitioned to the community level, including as a member of the board of the Capitol Hill Community Foundation. I was a public servant, and I'm very proud to say that. 
I, I think it's a wonderful thing to have spent my life doing. Mm. And I guess public servant, what does that mean? It means, well, serving the public. But I like to think of serving the public good. Mm. Yeah. Serving the public good is um, something I'm very proud of. And um, I absolutely advise giving it a try with great enthusiasm. Yeah. And there are lots of ways to do it. Yeah. And we are desperate to do it now. This is going to sound really corny, but I mean, what's the point of being here? It's to make the world a better place because that's the only thing you've got in my, in my view. So what do you think your advice would be to young people who are starting to think about their own careers? I would just say be open. Be open to change. Be open to trying new things. You don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. Yeah. You know, I thought I was going to be an art teacher and then I was a receptionist. You don't know you're going to be a sergeant at arms of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I would expect your life to change is what I would say mm-hmm. to you. You know, there are so many things that will happen and you can grasp them as they you know, come by. So it's not like you need to know right now what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you can. When Nathaniel and I started talking about the idea for this podcast last summer, one of my goals was to sit down with neighbors who I've waved to while I'm walking down the street since I was a little girl and to listen to their life stories and learn from how they made their decisions and found meaning in their careers. This is exactly what happened last month when we sat down with Martha Pope. I have known Martha from afar for much of my life, seeing her at Key Arena concerts, on the street with my grandma, and through her involvement with the Capitol Hill Community Foundation. But I have never truly had a conversation with her or even knew a snippet of her life story. It's these conversations that can be particularly difficult to have when we have coexisted with someone without taking the time to go deeper. My conversation with Martha proves to me how inspiring it is to overcome that difficulty. When I think about our conversation with Martha, her description of the environment she enjoyed on Capitol Hill stands out to me because of the contrast with the current environment. I'm very interested in politics, and I thought that speaking with Martha would be an insider's look into the workings of the Hill. This was certainly true, however, the warm and friendly bipartisan atmosphere that she looks fondly back upon is not the legislature that I see today on the news. For me, the change on Capitol Hill serves as a startling reminder that our jobs will never stay exactly the same over the years. Martha didn't serve on the Hill that long ago, but since then, the job description for Chief of Staff to the Majority Leader or Sergeant at Arms to the Senate changed dramatically to face a new America. In a world that's rapidly evolving, or depending on how you look at it, devolving, I've been trying to think about how technology, politics, and time might change the fields that I'd pursue. This is bigger than Capitol Hill. How will improvements in technology affect the 20% of Americans who have industry jobs like construction and manufacturing? How can I and other young people like me avoid pursuing fields that may be on the decline or at least less fulfilling than they were for our parents? How can we instead anticipate what the next great things are? What fields can give us this tantalizing idea of success? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of My Life's Work podcast. Next, we're speaking with Dr. Justin Burton, Chief of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation at Children's National Hospital here in D.C. Dr. Burton tells his story of his growth from a shy kid who leaned into his fears 
and who has spent his career serving children who are going through some of the most difficult times of their lives. Be sure to check out our website, mylifesworkpodcast.org, to leave a comment or see pictures of Martha and the various leaders she met, from the Clintons to Barack Obama to the Queen of England. We'll see you in the next episode.